The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I was curious as to what the worst Airbnb listing in history looked like. So I did some research. And when I say worst Airbnb, Airbnb listing, I'm not saying like it was like listed one way and the guests had a terrible experience. Like just right off the bat, what they listed, you're like, that's bad, okay? And I think I found what the internet says is just, and kind of like what everyone agrees, that's it right there. So, um, that's minimal. Like, that's minimalism, I think, you know, right there. So they actually, that is in, like, right outside some garages outside of London, all right? And um, in their defense, they only listed it for, like, $9 a night. So, like, <laughs> you, I mean, at least it's that, all right? And that's literally all it was. And um, uh, you might not be surprised that Airbnb did take it down. Like they said, this doesn't quite meet our standards. And I, I liked what Airbnb responded. This is literally a quote when they, they sent it back to the person who posted it. They said, um, this listing had been removed for not meeting our occupancy standards. In the future, be sure to pick a place with four walls, uh, running water, and a little more privacy. And I thought, I thought that alone, like, I was thinking at least they'd say, like, and has a roof, okay? But even that, you can still list something in Airbnb without a roof. Okay, so I looked at that, and I was, uh, I had to say, okay, yeah, that is the worst one ever, okay? Like, that would be uh, the worst Airbnb, Airbnb listing ever, because that's uh, more than Spartan. Like, if I'm going to go on vacation, like, I'm looking for something, like, a little more luxurious. Like, I have, like, normal life. I'm hoping to have more luxurious, okay, that's what I'm looking for. That is, is pretty Spartan. I mean, it's like less than the basics. There's not even walls. There's not a roof. It's just a mattress and some bedding and then a side table. They threw in a rug, which is nice because no one just wants to stand right on the asphalt first thing in the morning. Like, that's nice. Um, but it was, it was pretty minimal. Now, I bring that up because... This idea, this theme of like either really like Spartan versus really, really luxurious, this is a theme that the Bible speaks to, but it's speaking to living in something living in luxury inside our souls. It's not talking about the physical luxury, but it uses that as an illustration for how our souls should be. It's a really interesting take, not a commonly used metaphor in our minds maybe, but it's something that the Bible picks up. And why that's so impacting for us is because oftentimes how we feel in our souls is a little bit more like that Airbnb listing. Like what we feel like down our souls is it's like, okay, like inside, like I'm going through life. Like I'm, I'm like getting up in the morning uh, and I'm making it all the way through, breathing in and out. And then I go back to bed and, at night and you say, and even that barely, okay, like barely getting through. And I was like, I'm making just the basics. But if I'm, if I'm honest inside, it's pretty Spartan. It's pretty broken down. Like there's not, there's barely walls and a roof. Like it's just the basics. Like I'm just... 
Maybe you say like, I'm exhausted or I'm full of, of anxiety or I'm full of um, just discouragement or I'm full of frustration or I'm just dry spiritually. Like there's not, what's inside, I wouldn't say it's like luxury on the inside. It's just the basics, like throw a mattress down with a side table. Like I'm just making it. I don't feel like I'm really, really thriving on the inside out. I don't really feel like I'm really thriving. Maybe you say in my, my mental health or my emotional health, I don't feel like I'm really thriving spiritually. In fact, maybe you say on the spiritual side of my life, it's just dry. Like it is, it's not the life of luxury. It's not a resort living spiritually. It's just pretty Spartan. I'm barely making it. And the scripture has a lot to say about it. And what I love about the passage we're going to look at is it talks about it and then it just simply says, here's what you do. And it's not complicated. And remember, it's not like the Bible giving a tip. It's God commanding us how to live because he wants us to thrive on his terms because he knows what thriving looks like. We don't. He knows. And so I want you to see what the Bible says. It's in the book of Colossians. We've been working through Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. And we're really looking this morning at one verse. It's Colossians 3 verse 16. Incredible verse. Uh, open there with me if you have a Bible or Bible app. We're going to work through this uh, together. Colossians 3, verse 16. Here's what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Now, let's just pause there for a second. First thing he talks about is the word of Christ. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, what is he saying should dwell? And that's actually the command. The command in this passage is let the word of Christ dwell in you. But specifically, what does he mean by the word of Christ? That's just very like Bible language, very churchy language. What does he mean? Does he mean like the whole word of God, like the whole Bible? Does he mean like a specific word? Um, in fact, what he actually means is the gospel, specifically the gospel. If you flip back a page, Colossians 1, this is the beginning of the same book, 1 verse 5, he says this, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before, uh, before in the word, same, same idea there, word of the truth, the gospel. What does he want to dwell in us richly? He wants the gospel to dwell in us richly. It's the central message of the entire scripture. The whole Old Testament is pointing towards it. The whole New Testament is pointing back to it. It's not just the dividing point in all of the Bible. It is the dividing point in all of history. It is the central message from the creator to all of the creation, to the entire universe. It is one central message, the gospel, and it is good news. The central message to the universe is a piece of good news. Now, what is that good news? Interestingly, in the book of Colossians, right there in chapter 1, there's a section that is so soaringly beautiful that many scholars for 
generations believe that it's actually a hymn. It's a hymn that either Paul is writing, has written, even maybe spontaneously written, or it's a hymn that he's including because that first generation, it is surfaced as a hymn written about Jesus. And this hymn explains the gospel. It's, it's how he explains the gospel in Colossians. Let me read you the lyrics to what many think is a hymn. It's, it's right there in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to this. For he, this is Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Powerful words. Just jam-packed. I mean, there's a mountain of incredible information about Jesus. He says, everything in the universe was made through Jesus. And it's for Jesus. Jupiter, Halley's Comet, the trillions of stars, billions of galaxies, billions upon billions of light years in any direction, vastness of space that is absolutely overwhelming. We are a, a minuscule comparison, comparison to the vastness of the universe. And it was all made through Jesus and for Jesus. And the, the good news is that there was a man, the fullness of God. It's not just Jesus, the prophet, the religious leader. You know, we're not talking like Jesus was like, like one like religious leader and thinker like Gandhi. That's not what we're talking about here. The Bible's saying Jesus was filled with the fullness of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. There is a human being named Jesus Christ who is fully God and fully man who walked on this earth, died on a cross, and that blood, he's reconciling all things to himself. That means the universe that is feeling the consequences of sin, the brokenness of sin, the, the, the brokenness in our life, the, the sin that breaks things apart, the whole universe is going to be reconciled to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not just humans and plants and animals and souls, but galaxies and planets and stars and everything is being shifted. He's Jesus' death on the cross shifted the entire trajectory of the universe. It's astounding to think about. 
the entire universe was being broken apart, but when the author of life gave himself to die and then rose again, he's bringing the whole universe back out of the grave with a plan for redemption. Human beings, if we simply put our faith in Jesus, he's going to raise us back from the dead, recreate new bodies for us, our souls living for eternity, and all of the creation, heaven and earth, will be recreated and made new. Okay, I'm saying this, like, hear this hymn. This is the concept of the gospel in in Colossians. It's bringing through all of these truths from Scripture. Understand the depth and the the richness of this gospel, it's not Spartan. The message of the gospel is not just could you clean up your life a little bit and come to church on the holidays, don't use bad language, you know, just could you just be a little more religious? Like, It's not something so thin. It's not something so Spartan. It's not something, it's not just a shack that really doesn't do anything. I mean, we're talking something thick and glorious and beyond our understanding, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shifting the trajectory of the universe and offering you the opportunity to be a part of his rescue mission. Because what it says is that all of us stand as enemies, hostile towards God. We are on the wrong side of this, rebelling against God in our own self-centered, self-worship, living the lives with ourselves on the throne. That deserves death and wrath because we're enemies of God. But this incredible good news of being recreated, risen with Christ, our sins paid for, made peace with God, who we do not want to be enemies with, has happened through the work of Jesus. And here's the good news. <laughs> Astounding. I mean, this, to say it's good news is kind of a, an understatement. Your soul can be forever saved and redeemed. God becoming the father over your life, living forever in heaven, recreated through the redemptive work of Jesus. And that's offered to you It says in the Bible, a free gift. You just, in faith, say, I believe it. I accept it. Jesus saved me. It's like, it's got to be more than that. You'd think. The Bible says it's a free gift. That's why Jesus was just looking around astonished when he found people of faith. You can take that step of faith today. You could walk out of here today saying, I, I had this Spartan broken view of religion, Christianity, Jesus, the gospel, that I was just cleaning up my life, saying some prayers, be nice, you know, be, you know, follow the sexual ethics of the Bible. And I was just trying to clean up my life a little bit and just try and do my best. No, it's not something so broken. It's something so much more incredible. It's he's pronouncing a reality of you that he is making, he has made you holy and blameless. And then from the inside out, the Holy Spirit himself, who's dwelling in you, is transforming you so that your life lives up to how he's already declared you to be. 
And that's offered to you as a free gift. And you can accept that today. He says, Let, that's the word of Christ. That's the gospel. That it, what Jesus did. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let, it, let that truth of the gospel make its home in your heart. Literally, the word dwell is like make its home. Stay in there. Live there. Not go anywhere. It's not just coming to visit. It's at home in your heart always. Let the gospel be the core concept constantly running your life. Let it make its home in your heart. But notice what he says. Let it make home in your heart richly. Let it create not just a shabby Airbnb kind of existence like that one posting. Let it set up a palace in your heart to enjoy all the luxuries of the gospel. I did some more research this week. I wanted to see what is like the most expensive house ever listed in our, our country. And it was actually right here in South Florida, in Broward County. Um, it was listed up off Hillsboro. Let me show you a picture. Okay, here's a picture of it. Like if you're in the market. Um, Like you say, hey, like, you know, I live here in Northwest Dade, Southwest Broward. I'm living in a 3-2. You know, I just need to upgrade a little bit. This is, this is an 11-22, okay? So it's 11 bedrooms and 22 bathrooms. So hopefully that's enough for you. Okay. Um, a little bit about this house. It's up, up off of Hillsboro. Yes, that is the ocean that it sits on. 500 feet of ocean access, which you can't see is off to the left, is it also has access to the intercoastal where you can park your yacht. Um, it is a 58,000 square feet. 58,000 square feet. Um, it sits on five acres, has a 20-car garage, wine cellar, and six waterfalls. And, um, you, you know... Also has a movie theater, like here if you want, like that. So it's its own IMAX movie theater. You say, okay, that's fine, but I'm more of a kitchen person. What does the kitchen look like? I need to see the kitchen. I care about kitchens. So that is uh, 22 karat gold leafing. So like all throughout that, which that's actually why I didn't put an offer in. I just, not my style, you know, I just, I'm not into that. I was just imagining my minivan parked out in front of that house. It's like be amazing, all right? That would be exactly what they're looking for in that neighborhood, I bet. Um, so it went, on, it went on, the, uh, on the market as the most expensive house ever listed. It, um, they think it might have been over $100 million to build. Eventually, it sold at, our, at auction for the bargain price of $42.5 million, so they got a really good deal. And um, it, it also, just because I was wondering, the annual taxes are $670,000 a year. So that's what you pay to, to live that. Okay, let's agree that is like a palace. That is a very large house, okay? And I wanted you to just get that image in your mind because that is kind of the imagery Paul is drawing from. He's talking about dwelling, and he says, dwelling in luxury. Let the gospel dwell in your, in your hearts luxuriously. There's something that should dwell in your heart 
and, and yes, you could have it really broken and spartan like a lean-to. You could have like, you could just throw down the basics, but here's what the Bible is commanding. Here's what God wants for you and for me. He wants the gospel to take to live in our hearts with all the luxuries that the gospel brings. That's what I want. The gospel makes some extraordinary promises. The Bible talks about, man, because of the gospel, there's extraordinary things that come radiating out of my life. There's incredible luxuries that you can only get with the gospel dwelling in your heart. I want all of them. I want all of them. I want all of those more than anything this world has to offer. I want all of those things that the gospel offers. The love and the joy and the peace and the patience, all the things that the world tries to get through the world stuff and never delivers. Like, I'm over that. I want all the luxuries the gospel brings. I want those things. He says, let the gospel dwell in your heart lavishly, opulently, luxuriously, palatially. Let the gospel dwell in your heart. Now, here's what I love about this verse. Because I want to say, okay, tell me, what do I do? And Paul says, here you go. I'll give you two things. That simple. It's not two of like a bazillion things. It's, you, you probably won't ever get there, but just try to to start. It's like two things. And here's the first one. It's right there in that verse. He says, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You know, there's a, a thought in, I think, modern Christianity that the way to get all the perks and luxuries spiritually is more time alone and away from people and alone with God. Now, getting alone with God is vitally important. I would encourage you to do that every day. It's what the, the Bible talks about. Meditate on God's word day and night. Like um, That doesn't mean exclusively alone, but that's important. Get that time alone. Get that intimacy with the Lord. But here's what's happened. Because of how individualistic we are in our society, we've kind of pushed all the way sometimes. Like, I got to get all alone with God, some people, and that's where I'm going to like really pull out all the things that the gospel has to offer. But that's actually not what he says. He says teaching and admonishing one another. One another's all types of people. He's saying he wants that. In fact, the idea that I'm so, and sometimes it can go to this point, I'm so mature, I don't need anybody else in my life. I can feed myself. I, I'm, I'm fine. It's just me alone with the Bible and my journal and praying or a walk through nature. All I need is to be alone. That's, actually, that's not actually maturity. That's immaturity. Because we're a body, he's wired us together as a body to stir one another up. We're constantly told to stir one another up. Now, I'm not saying don't get away with the Lord. Please get away alone with the Lord. But what the Bible's saying here, you want to stir up all the luxuries of the gospel, it's one another. It's not, well, look, I, I love Jesus, but I just, I'm tired of the church. I'm frustrated with the church. I've been hurt by the church or I don't need the church. And so like, I kind of just do my own thing. Maybe I'll watch a sermon here. I'll watch a worship video there, but I'm fine alone. And I'll just kind of get those teachings and those things. That's spiritual immaturity. 
That's not a way to thrive and take advantage of all the luxuries the gospel brings inside your life. We need the one another's. We need to spend time with one another. I need spiritual fathers and mothers. I need spiritual brothers and sisters. I need spiritual sons and daughters. I need people all around. I need to learn from people all the way around. I need to be around the brand new Christian. I need to be around the far more seasoned Christian. I need to be around all of those things. It's very clear. We need to be speaking this truth of the gospel over one another. We need to share the gospel over one another. Okay, this is something that we've been talking about throughout the spring, but it's right here in the text. I can't and don't want to skip right over it. Maybe for you, it's, it's an opportunity to hear it again. Take advantage of the body of Christ he's placed you in. We cannot go on our journey with the Lord and be healthy, thriving believers apart from the body. Make the body of Christ, make your church a priority for you and your family. Get those relationships serve together, be in community together, come to worship together, make that a priority. That's how we get all of the thriving that's right there in the Bible over and over and over and in this passage too. That was the first thing. The second thing though, I wanted to pause on a little longer because we've talked about the first thing quite a bit this spring. Here's the second thing. He says this, how do you let the word of Christ dwell in you? Teaching and admonishing one another. But then the second one is, and singing Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thanksgiving in your heart. Paul talks about our relationship to worship music, and he says, vital. Now, it's interesting. He talks about um, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's some debate, like this phrase is not the only time Paul uses this, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He used it again with the Ephesians as well. So this is like a, a, a framework. He's not just kind of listing things out. He's, it's, like a, it's like three categories, and there's a lot of debate as to what it is. One theory that I find um, really just compelling just from both how the words are used and how it's used contextually. There's other theories, but one that really, that I thought like sounded really legitimate is the word psalms, that there is that is a really Jewish category because of the Psalter, like the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. They'd be really familiar with how Psalms are written, um, how the music is sung, like that. They would be used to that out of the Jewish culture. And remember, most of these first century churches that are all around in these cities are this really difficult two groups coming together. You have, it's difficult for them to come together. You have a group of Jewish Christians and you have a group of Gentile Christians. That's very difficult to come together, in part because they would live in the same city, and the Jewish Christians, for one of the reasons, the Jewish Christians are, are the Jew, before they were Christians, the Jewish community would be trying to keep kosher and so that they would not eat and sometimes touch or even speak to a Gentile. And then now you have these Gentile Christians who used to worship with all types of partying and drunkenness and sometimes uh, sexual explicit worship activities. I mean, they couldn't, they're coming from two completely different spiritual backgrounds and they're now in one church. That's gonna be hard. And so what, what uh, some scholars think is the Psalms, that's a word that points directly to the Old Testament, all the Psalms of the Old Testament and all the worship 
songs and styles the Jewish community is used to working with. Then the word hymns. Now we know what we think of when we think of hymns. We think of like a hymn book and a certain era of hymns. But that word hymn is, that's actually comes from the Greek word. Is The Greek word is hymnos. It comes from the Greek word. They sang all types of hymns to their Greco-Roman gods. So they're bringing that, that style into the Christian community. They would have their hymns that they're singing to their Greco-Roman gods, like Bacchus, this is the god of wine, and you can only imagine what that festival was like. Those are the hymns they're used to singing. It's probably more of a drinking song. So you've got the hymn style. Now they're in. These are their types of worship songs. So they're going to write Christian songs that are kind of like the Psalms and maybe include some of the Psalms and then they're going to write some in the style of the hymns because that's what they know. That's their culture. So now they're writing songs. And it's like, man, you imagine being a Jewish Christian being like, this sounds a lot like the festival that you guys did. I'm not even going to talk about what you did at that festival. And then they're like, man, I, th this is coming from a community. This sounds like a community that I used to not be welcome in. Imagine the associations that they would have with those. And then he says, and spiritual songs. He says, and, and all the other new fresh songs that, that are, that are uh, being written. He says, you're singing, and, and what is the point here? All types of songs, and, and here's what really strikes me about this, this command to sing. It's not as if worship music preference is just a modern phenomenon. Music is so deeply personal and cultural, it stirs us emotionally. Of course, that's always been an issue in the church. And what Paul's saying is like, it's not about whether it's psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs. You're singing to God. If my worship can only go as far as enjoying my preferences, then am I really singing to God or am I singing for me. What's actually going on? Because he says, with thanksgiving in your heart. So I'm, I'm singing from my heart to God. But if I'm hearing the song that's aligning and I'm waiting for the song that aligns to my preferences, then really what I'm doing is I'm waiting for my heart to be happy because the song makes me feel good or the song makes me nostalgic or the song makes me think about that one season that that song ministered to me or that that song has those types of lyrics that particularly uh, connect with me. If I'm waiting for a song that aligns, it's like, no, I'm a Psalms person or no, I'm a hymn person or no, I'm a spiritual songs kind of person. He says, all of it, just worship in all of it to God. What I want my mind to be filled with while I'm being led into worship, what I want my mind to be filled with is not myself. I want to be thinking about God. The true worshiper is not a worship music connoisseur that has a particular varietal of worship that I like. And I, you know, lift my nose to other worship styles. The true biblical worshiper is so addicted to God that it doesn't matter if it's Gregorian chants, if it's about my Jesus, I'm in. That's all I care about. That's he says, singing, and he, he knows, Paul knows, he's been around all the cities. He went through Ephesus and Colossians, Colossae, and he's writing, he says, worship to God, whether it's psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs. Worship 
to God. Now, this encouragement to singing, by the way, biblically, it's not an option. Um, let me just show you some things that the Bible says about the role of, of singing in our lives. Look at, look at just a couple psalms. Look at Psalm 30. Let me read this to you, um, this one verse, Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. That word sing praises is, is a command. It's in the imperative tense in the Hebrew. It's a command. He's commanding us to sing. So worship music is not just for worshipful people. It's not just for musical people. It's not just for if it's the way I like it. Worship is a command for scripture. Why? Because it's a way we give praise. It's an offering to God. It's not for me. It's for God. And he wants it for how it's ministering to me. He wants, he wants me to offer it to the Lord and he's gonna minister to me through that as I'm ministering to him. So he's commanding us to sing and to give thanks. Listen to this one in Psalm 46, I'm sorry, 47 verse one. Clap your hands, all people, shout to God with loud songs of joy. He's commanding, these are commands. Shout is a command. Clap is a command. Now, there's some traditions that prefer more reverent, worshipful styles, and they, they want to be, it's more reflective and reverent. And I'm not saying there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But some say, you know, why, why is clap, clapping seems, I've heard, like it's kind of a modern expression of worship? It's not. It's a very deeply biblical Old Testament command. That's why we clap. That's why we cheer in a song or at the end of a song. Why? Because we're commanded. These are things we're, we're told to do. Listen to this one. This is in Psalm 134. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Uh, sometimes people, maybe you're newer to the church or maybe you grew up in a Catholic church or maybe you grew up in a different kind of church. You're like, hey, I don't understand why do people have their, their hands up in the air? Um, that's a natural response for, for us during music and way of responding. You can see that at, uh, at rock concerts and things like that, but we're not doing it because it's like a rock concert. It's because we're commanded to in the scripture. It's the way we engage our bodies. It's the way we turn our attention to the Lord. That's why we raise up our holy hands and bless the Lord. Listen to this one. This is in Psalm 33. This is another, all these are commands. Psalm 33, 3. Sing to the Lord, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. We're commanded in scripture to sing a new song to the Lord. God doesn't want to just freeze worship in one era. Now, it doesn't mean we leave that behind. We can incorporate worship from all eras, including all the way back deep into the Old Testament, but he's commanding every generation to write new songs. He wants new expression. He wants new songs expressing each generation the work of the Lord. He's commanding us to sing new songs. It's one of the things I, I'm so grateful about City Rev. We're gifted with songwriters and that are writing songs um, not only just for the South Florida community and beyond, they're writing songs for our church. And I think because that's answering to that call, I think when uh, God is anointing our songwriters to write songs here in City Rev, it's because he's got a special work in City Rev that he wants to do through that. That's why we celebrate every time our, the team releases new, new songs. It's not because we're like, hey, look at us. Who cares? 
It's so that it's a spe- I'm anticipating in the same way when our worship leaders are planning a worship set, I'm anticipating that the Holy Spirit has worked through them planning those specific songs for a work he wants in my life. And I'm even more leaning forward when he's writing songs through our worship leaders that he has a special work for those of us in City Rev he wants to do through those. See, sometimes... Sometimes it's like um, the worship music, it's like the, the previews before the movie. It's like, um, you know, well, it's just the previews, you know, as long as we're there for the main thing. No, that's, yes, preaching is commanded. Singing, it's for, it, it is commanded for us to make an offering to the Lord. Don't miss it. Why? Why is this, what is this cultivating in our hearts when we're, truly worshiping the Lord, wanting to be in his presence and celebrate his attributes. Here's what's being cultivated in my heart. Did you notice what it said? Thankfulness. If you joined us last week, we read through this whole text. Paul just keeps dripping thankfulness in this scripture. It's like this special ingredient. He says, okay, do all that with thankfulness. Why? If I want the gospel lavishly making its home in my soul, I can never lose a constant stance of thankfulness for all that Jesus has done for me. And God knows how much worship music does to remind me and to stir that up, to be reminded of the work of the gospel for me so that I never get over it. Because if he's willing to give his son, Jesus, to die for me, He's not going to hold anything back. And I want to be reminded of that every day. Maybe you're here and you say like, look, my, my heart is, if I'm honest, my spiritual soul is like more of that Airbnb rental than the palatial living. I, I, know, I don't know about you, but I want all the luxuries that the gospel has. I want them all. I want them more than anything that this world has to offer. I, I don't want 20 car garages and six waterfalls and oceanfront property and $650,000 tax bill every year. I don't want that. Here's what I want. I want the gospel and this gratitude for the gospel to be so at home that the luxury that's welling up inside of me is this deep, sincere, reckless love for the people around me. 
I want this love that's this willing, self-sacrificing love that's just welling up inside of me because of what Jesus did for me, welling up inside of me so that I can pour that kind of sacrificial love on my wife and on my children and on my friends, on my church, on my city. I want that just welling up inside of me so that I can pour that out on my friends and neighbors. I want that kind of love that, that holds nothing back. I want that kind of love that has the courage, that's not afraid to get in the mess. I want that welling up. I want that love. I want that peace, the luxury of peace in my life. I want the, that the gospel just as it's, as it's dwelling in and it's setting up this palace in my heart, it's bringing with the luxury of peace and rest because I know he loves me that much. He's adopted me into his family. He sees me like a son. He's not leaving me alone. I'm not all alone. My, everything is going to work together for good. So I have peace and I have rest because I've seen over and over and over and over that he has come through. And even the difficult things that I've walked through, he's taken those broken pieces and he's redeemed them into something beautiful. And I've seen that over and over that I've got this luxury of a deep peace and restfulness. I have a peace that passes understanding. I want that. I want that joy. I want unconquerable joy. I want the joy that beachfront property could never bring. I want joy that nothing in this world could ever bring. I want that kind of joy that Paul had in the book of Philippians where he's in chains facing execution, all of his friends abandoning him. I want that kind of joy that nothing can conquer. It's just overflowing because I'm getting a taste of heaven now being in the presence of Jesus. I want that luxury that happens because I understand that Jesus has washed away all my sins. I have no, no shame, no guilt. There's no punishment left for me. I'm just going to, to Jesus so you can kill me now, but I'll even get what's better coming to me. I want that kind of joy that can't be stopped. I want a kind of, I want a luxury in my life of living a life of kindness and generosity and fruitfulness. I want to live a life of purpose and meaning. I don't want a life that I'm wondering, why am I here? I want a life full of fruitfulness as I'm putting first the kingdom of God and everything else is put aside. I want the joy of knowing as I put my head on the, my pillow every night, I am living out my life for Jesus and he's going to do exceedingly more than all I can ask or imagine through my life. I want that kind of luxury that the gospel brings when it settles in my heart, that's what I want. And those are things that the world can't possibly create in you, even though it keeps promising over and over and over and over. I want the, the gospel and I want it all with it. I want all of it. All the luxuries that the gospel brings. And God wants that for you too. So he says, do this. Be in relationship, teaching and admonishing, washing each other with the gospel all the way around. Hey, if you're not involved in your church, it's time. God wants it for you. Small groups are kicking off this week. Go online for your sake. Get on a serving team. You can do that at any time. It's time. We're in a, a, an initiative right now. The second part is we're in an initiative right now called um, the 200 Reasons Initiative. We're committing ourselves, based on this passage, to every morning, 10 things. This is for 21 days. 10 things every morning, at least, 
that we're thankful for. Last week, we were challenged by, by Colossians chapter three to write 10 things that we're thankful for about our relationships around us. This week, it's 10 things we're thankful for about Jesus, the gospel, our heavenly father, the Holy Spirit, 10 things every morning that we're thankful for about our God. You say, man, that sounds a little bit more challenging. There's millions of things to be thankful for about God. But here's specifically, based on this text, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, as you're making that list, 10 new things every morning, write it down. Don't just think it in your brain. Write it down, 10 things every morning. As you're writing those things down, I want you to use worship music to inspire and stir you up. Go to your, uh, your church has a, a Spotify channel. You can find it uh, online. Use your, use your church worship. God's written those songs for our church. Use others, other wonderful Christ-centered worship. Use worship music to stir up 10 things at least every morning you're thankful for about God so that you don't forget the gospel. Let the gospel make its palatial home in, inside of you and enjoy all the luxuries that it brings into your life. Last thing. I didn't tell you what the most expensive piece of real estate ever purchased. Your soul. God wanted to dwell there. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit wanted to dwell in your soul. So he expended the treasure of the universe to wash you clean so he could live inside of you. Let that floor you every day. Let's pray. I want to encourage some of you Put your faith in Jesus today. You're at enmity, you're an enemy of God until you accept the work of Jesus to make peace between you and God by the blood of his cross. You just receive it as a free gift. Will you put your faith in Jesus today? If that's you, no one's looking around. If you say, I wanna make peace with God through the work of Jesus, I want all those things that come with the gospel. I want to believe that Jesus was given for me. I want to be saved. I want to live for eternity. I want to be forgiven. I want all of those things. My shame put away. A father, heavenly father in my life, a king, a savior. I want to be reconciled to God. I want to live forever in heaven. I want all the luxuries that the gospel brings. You just accept it in faith. So no one's looking around. But if that's you, you want to put your faith in Jesus. Would you just lift your hand in the air and put it back down? I want to lead you in a prayer. Praise God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Anybody else here at the West Pines campus there, Cooper City, say today's the day. I, I'm, I am accepting once and for all in faith. Just slip your hand in the air and put it back down. I'll lead you in a prayer. Praise God. Let's pray. I want you just to pray these words after me. Just silently, he hears you. Just make these your words. Say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I put my faith in you today. I receive salvation as a gift. 
Thank you for saving me for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who put their faith in Jesus today? We joined in the rescue mission that is happening throughout the entire universe. That includes you. Greatest decision you could ever make. If you put your faith in Jesus, you can actually be baptized today. Uh, we're ready for you. We're having a baptism celebration right after the service. If you want to be baptized today to show everyone that you took that step of faith, you can join those who are being baptized just across the parking lot in the fuge. Just go to, there's a table there. Say, I want to be baptized today. And they've got, we got shorts, a t-shirt, a towel, a place for you to change. We're all ready for you. You just have to go let them know. Um, and maybe you can even do that. You can just head out during our closing song. We also, church, we have uh, some prayer leaders that are down front. If you would like to some prayer, no matter what's going on in your life, maybe going on in your life is spiritual dryness. Or it could be anything. Maybe you need healing or you need to ask for provision or whatever it is, take advantage of the church body. That's how God's designed us to minister to each other. Just come forward. There's some prayer leaders here. But for the rest of us, church, we're going to take this moment and we're going to be obedient to Scripture. And we're going to sing to the Lord. Because he's due all of our worship far more than we can. So we're going to sing. We're going to command our souls to sing and give back to him the praise that's due. Would you stand with me as we close? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.